Look at Psalm 4. If you would uh, locate that in your Bible, I've kind of moved away from saying turn to that because a lot of people are are not using books today. Um, And since my being up here came about rather unexpectedly, I'm just going to teach on what I've been studying for my own learning. I just finished rereading one of the books that I used in the class on the Psalms that we had some years ago. And um, using the Psalms to guide us and to aid us and to give us a prayer language is a is a compelling subject to me uh, because its prayer is so important in the life of a believer and certainly in, in my life. But, but I need help, and I think that's true for all of us. We need help in our prayers, and, and the Lord has given us this help, and he's given us a, a language for prayer in the Psalms. And, of course, the Psalms are not the only prayer help that, that we get, but they're an important part. Now, the Psalms were written, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, and there's a lot of things we don't know about ancient worship. Uh, For example, in today's text, we'll see the word selah, and some people think that's a musical direction. Uh, For myself, I consider it a pause. When I'm reading a psalm at home and I come to this word selah, I try to stop and reflect on what I've just read to meditate on what I'm reading and to try to focus my mind more on the text. But in any event, whatever it means, uh, when we pray the Psalms, we're entering into this centuries-long experience of being the people of God. And so as for me, uh, as I read the Psalms, I'm getting some much-needed training in prayer, you know. God first speaks to us in his word, or by his word, and we answer in prayer. So if you would, uh, let's read, stand if you would, and we'll read Psalm 4, and we'll have prayer, and then get into the study. Psalm 4, to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Lord, bless your word to our hearts and minds, we pray, and be with us now. We thank you for the church of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the Berean Fellowship, and Lord, we ask that you'd bless your people, Lord. Teach us the things of Christ, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
my uh, motivation in wanting to uh, continue to learn and to teach about praying the Psalms. Uh, of course, as you know, some years ago we had a, a Sunday school class on this, and my motivation is not so that uh, I or so that we could become so skillful in our prayers that we could change God's mind or change the heart of God or that we could uh, change the world. No, it's that, it's that prayer changes me and, and prayer changes us as we enter into prayer with the Lord. And uh, allowing God's Word to guide me in, in praying is, is beneficial to my soul. And, you know, praying the Psalms takes time and it takes a little effort, to, but mostly it just requires doing it. You know, the more you do it, the, the more natural it becomes and, and uh, the... the um, you know, the more meaningful it is. As I said before, when we pray the Psalms, we're entering into this centuries-long experience of, of being the people of God. So if you would look at the title in this psalm, just under where it says Psalm 4, it says, To the chief musician. And that tells us this psalm is for the congregation. In other words, it's for public use with stringed instruments, so it was set to music. It was to be sung either by the choir singers or by the congregation or by both. And it says, a psalm of David. Uh, David's life is a story, just as each of our lives are a story. Um, we might not, well, we probably won't ever be a king or we won't ever suffer a palace coup the way that he did, uh, but many of the things that happened in his life we'll find happening in ours. And, and so many things, there's so many things about David in the Bible that there's just almost no part of our life that doesn't find some point of illumination or encouragement or rebuke from the life of David. David wrote the Psalms in times of struggling and hardship and running from Saul and so forth. And he didn't write these in times of his kingship or in a life of ease. And so as we read the Psalms, we can enter into this when we're having a distress. Someone said, I, I only pray when I'm in trouble, and I'm in trouble all the time. So I pray all the time, and that's, a, that's about a good saying for me. So Psalm 4 is for public worship as well as for private use. So it's God's intention that His people assemble together as we are this morning for worship and to hear His Word and to offer prayers together. You know, as you know, uh, we have a 9 o'clock prayer time each Sunday morning, and there's a good group that meets, but it's a small group. Um, sometimes we have four or five people. I think we had six this morning. Sometimes it balloons up to eight or nine, and everyone's invited, but, you know, it would be good for more to come. I always mention this. We used to have several ladies who would come in and, and pray with us, um, but praying together uh, develops a certain uh, relationship and fellowship that wouldn't occur otherwise. When people are praying, you, you can see what's on their heart, and you know more about a person's heart after you've prayed together for a while, you know, some of us in there have been praying together for, for years now. I think most of us would prefer to uh, pray in isolation. Um, 
Our prayers are usually, uh, when we're just praying in isolation by ourselves, uh, we're, we're usually uh, using a language of personal relationship. And I think we don't like to uh, use that type of language or bear our souls before others, but that's real fellowship uh, when we do it. Praying in a group lifts us up, and it, and it gives us purpose. And uh, one of the things that can keep us away is fear. You know, so many people have come in one time and to the prayer, or so many people just don't like to pray out loud. And uh, someone called that the tyranny of emotions. We can be terrorized, uh, terrorized by our our uh, fears. And I was thinking about this language of the the way that we pray. You know, when we're just praying, just us and God. And I th- thought about in my family when I was growing up. Uh, no one ever was called by their given name. You know, there were pet names for everyone. There were nicknames for everyone. Maybe you've had that in your family. And uh, my grandmother never called anyone by their right name. It was only by the names that she made up for every one of us. And, you know, in the family, that's, that's how we spoke with to one another, was in a language of relationship. But we didn't talk that way outside the family. I didn't want anyone to know what my nickname was, you see. And uh, I think as we have a relationship with God, you know, by the Lord Jesus Christ, our our private prayers are are in this type of language. And and, uh, oftentimes we don't want to share that. So we're kind of uh, reticent or we're hesitant to come out and and pray in public and pray. of course, there's one other thing, too. Don't we all just naturally think that as we pray, everyone else is judging us? Everyone else is judging how we're praying. Oh, this one prays good, this one is. Um, but anyway, uh, I do uh, hope that more of you will come in. And we, we pray for the church, you know, and we pray for one another. And we pray for the needs in the church and pray for the people who are sick, like our pastor today. So. So going back to Psalm 4, so here we are in a public setting, and we've read God's Word, and we know that God is speaking to us, and I'm I'm talking about today, but more specifically, He's speaking to each one of us individually. You know, we can't read the Psalms impersonally. You know, these words are like arrows, and they're they're aimed at our heart. They're aimed at you, and, and they're aimed at me. So Psalm 4 begins with, "'Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness.'" Do you ever begin to pray like that? I don't think any of us would unless we had this this language here in in the Psalms. Hear me, O God of my righteousness. Uh, If I'm feeling down and having trouble praying and everything, this first line always gets me in the right frame of mind. God of my righteousness. You know, often the way that, uh, that I get down and I get discouraged is to be looking at myself. You know, I can't even live up to my own standards, much less to God's law. And I can forget, any one of us can forget. I can forget that my righteousness is from God. My righteousness is in Christ. It's, it's not in me. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote that he wanted to be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. But how often 
do we forget that? And how often do we think that our righteousness is in the way that we're acting and, and in our acts and works? You know, if you're in Christ, he is your righteousness. So God is our righteousness, but we need help in praying. And um, I've said this uh, before, but I don't think that setting out, just uh, setting out to pray a certain amount of time each day is a good approach. You know, I have certain people and things that I try to pray about every day, but uh, for the most part, I think it's best just to open the Bible and, and uh, it can be difficult to settle your mind down and, and just open the Bible, direct your thoughts upwards and, and just be still and, and know that he is God. You know, and as God speaks to you in his word, you answer him in prayer. So we need help, as I said, and the Lord provides that help in, in the Psalms. So God is speaking to us. He's speaking to you, speaking to me, and he and we want to answer him. So how do we do that? Well, go back to Psalm 1, and let's look at that. I think that um, in this Bible I have, it's on the same page as Psalm 4, so I hope that's the same with you. But uh, Psalm 1, and, and look uh, at verse 3. This is speaking of the righteous person. It says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. It's hard to pray about the abstract. It's hard to pray, for example, Lord, make me righteous or something like that, because righteousness is, is it's an idea, and it, what does that mean? But here we have a specific image to be like a tree planted by a river. Now, we don't have any rivers here in Palmdale, so uh, when we had the Psalms class, I had to ask Amanda to, to paint for us a tree next to something that looked like the aqueduct here. And the image is, it's made a good image. The image is of the tree next to the aqueduct and the roots of the tree going in uh, to the water. And looking at something visible like that helps us to uh, comprehend the invisible. We read God's Word, and when we do, we're putting down our roots, you know, into the water of life. You know, we're like a tree. So there's another image here in Psalm 1 that can help us in praying. As read verse 4. It says, the ungodly are not so. In other words, they're not like trees, but they're like the shaft which the wind drives away. You know, we see the unrighteousness in this world all around us, and, and so often it seems like the godly are winning. They seem to be winning every day. And, but one day, you know, if you think about chaff, you know, one day God will just blow that away. Verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteousness, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So I was just thinking about a cultural note here. Uh, you see in verse 6, the righteous. This is uh, telling us that this psalm is for everyone. It's not just for men. Psalm 1 has a lot of masculine pronouns in it. And so in our society, the way we are today, people could be offended. But that psalm is for everyone. So go to Psalm 2. This gives us a context for this world we're living in. You know, many people reject the Word of God and 
they appear to be numerous and impressive, and uh, they turn this rejection into world power. So let me read verses 1 to 3. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So these ungodly rulers control armies, and they appear powerful. And so here you are, for example, in this image, a a tree planted by the aqueduct. Um, What difference can our prayers make if that's the case? Well, let's read on. I'll read verses 4 to 9. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So these these verses give us a picture of size. You know, God is very big. He's bigger than all the kings and rulers. And even these kings and rulers that we see today that seem so powerful, they need a Savior as well. Read verses 10 to 12. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Now, we went through this psalm very fast. Actually, you know, psalms should be read slowly, meditatively, and... uh, you know, they're not meant to be a speed read, especially if you're praying. But I wanted to read Psalm 2 to show that in our prayers, we should never be intimidated. We should never be intimidated by the things going on in the world and, and by the, the powers of the world that, uh, that seem so strong at times. Then Psalm 3, you see here it has a title. It's a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, and so this is a prayer that's prayed in the middle, in the middle of a story. And he says, verse the first one, he says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. You know, David's life was full of all manner of, of incidents, some good and some bad. There was conflict and there was victory and there was failure. And, you know, you yourselves, each one of us, you know, we're living out a story and we may have many of the same, our lives may have many of these same aspects. We'll have victories, we'll have failures, we'll have all these, these things that happen. Verse 2 says, Many are they who say of me, there's no help for him in God, Selah. Verse 3 gives us more language for our prayers, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. So the Lord is a shield for us against the hurt and the insults and difficulties of living and working in this world. You know, I can't help but remember when, when I was a kid, we used to cut up these uh, inner tubes. You can go back far enough when there were inner tubes in a tire. 
and build these guns and shoot them each with each other. And we'd get the garbage can and hold it up as a shield. And I can't help, but every time I think of a shield, I think of that. But it, it's, it's a good picture. It, it really is because many things come at us, and God's Word is a shield for us, and God is a shield to, to protect us from all that. You know, but, uh, when you're, you feel insulted or something, you think about the Lord who went, he hung on a cross naked for us, you know, and that, that helps me greatly. Uh, it says, he's a shield in my glory, the one who lifts up my head. Jeremiah 9.20, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. So we glory in the Lord. And what I wanted to do in reading uh, the Psalms 1 and to Psalm 3 was to give you some references to have in your mind as you're praying. You know, we... We need our roots down in, in God's Word to be like a tree, you know, to, to be taking that water and that we can bring forth fruit, as that verse says. And as you get older, like me, you think about that his leaf does not wither. You know, it's, it's easy to wither up as you, as you get older. And you will without God's Word. Any of us will. When we think about God, he's very big. He's bigger than anything in this world. He knows our struggle. And he's given us language to pray. You know, like, Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are my righteousness. It's just all through the Psalms, there's all this language that we can use. So back to Psalm 4, verse 1 says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. So we, we have this emphatic beginning, but notice the quiet ending. Look at verse 8, the last verse. I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell, make me dwell in safety. So these two verses sort of form an envelope, you know, and in that envelope are, are is a great prayer that that we can use to help us in our praying. So we go on in verse one. The second part of verse one says, "You have relieved me in my distress." So here David is remembering things that God's done for him in the past. You know, it's good to go back in your thinking about how the Lord has cared for you in times past and to think on answered prayer. And, you know, every once in a while you may think that you're in an impossible situation, you know, and just think about where the Lord has brought you from. You know, the older you get, the more you can do this. But you think about all the times that you thought you were in, in, something, in something impossible and the Lord gets you out of it. So we need to think back on all these things that the Lord has done for us and give him thanks. And then he says, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. You know, we don't take God for granted. Uh, he is a creator and we are his creatures. Now in verses uh, 2 and 3, we have the first of three contrasts that appear here in this psalm. So I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. How long, O, son, o you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So David was God's chosen king of his chosen people. And to attack David 
was in the same category as you remember when Pastor Darrell taught recently about Ishmael mocking um, Isaac when he was born. It's mocking God's providential rule on the earth. You know, when you uh, attack God's anointed king of his anointed people, but people were doing that. He was under attack all the time. But the godly in verse 3 there are those who acknowledge God's rule and acknowledge God's rule not only in this world but in their own lives. And this acknowledgement releases us from anxiety and brings us into grace. And we can thank God for setting us apart and for bringing us into the family of God. You know, if you think about um, God's sovereignty and and man's responsibility, you know, the sovereignty of God and and God's election and choosing us uh, gives us great comfort. But then our responsibility keeps us from being lazy and, and being lethargic and just taking things for granted. God is sovereign and he's chosen us, but we have a responsibility to go with it. And knowing God should bring us to prayer and that is prayer with thanksgiving. Our prayers should always be with thanksgiving. You know, if you if you look at how the Psalms are structured, most of them start out with the psalmist angry about something or he's complaining about something or, you know, something's going wrong. But by the end of the psalm, he's giving praise. He's giving thanks to God. Now, the second contrast, verses 4 and 5, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. So this is an evening psalm at the end of the day. You know, uh, each day we've probably had things that didn't go the way we would have liked. You know, some things always go wrong. And so... uh, if we look at our day, at what happened, at the things that went on, we might be angry. But we're not in charge of the universe, and we need to remember that, and we need to acknowledge that God is in charge. And no day is perfect. Hardly any day even comes close to it. So, you know, we don't often have righteous anger. We probably think we do, you know, that all of our anger is righteous, but uh, the righteous anger is the type of anger that Jesus had when he went into the temple and he saw all the merchant activity going on and all the things. He he was angry about God's uh, temple being uh, profaned. But it says, be angry and do not sin. So I think we need to uh, face squarely the worst of the day and and not to overlook our own flaws and, and don't be planning revenge. Do you ever go to bed at night and plan revenge? I think how you're going to get even with someone. I think we've probably all done that, haven't we? But don't do that. David's saying don't do that. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Just be the person that God made you to be. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness, you know. Give God the sacrifice of of obedience and of trusting him. And, And when you give that sacrifice to him, see what he'll do with it. You know, he will do good things with it when we give him obedience and trust. The third contrast, verses 6 and 7, There are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. Uh, This is a contrast between those who are 
not satisfied with what they have and uh, those who are full of thankfulness for what God has given them. You know, it can be looked on as the difference between spiritual immaturity, you know, those who are unhappy with their lot in life, and contrast that with the spiritual maturity of people who are happy with what they do have, and they're happy with what God has given them. And and think how wonderful that is to have a heart of gladness for what God has done for you. You know, that that is such a wonderful thing, you know, when sometimes you realize how good God has been to you and you have the, the joy of the Spirit. That's way better than, than grain and, and wine. You know, they run out. I always think about uh, back in my working days and so forth, I, I bought a lot of new cars, and almost every one of them is in the junkyard now. You know, because the things of this world don't last, but but the peace of God and the joy of the Lord lasts forever, and no one can take that away from us. Real joy is found only in the Lord, and real joy comes about as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the way you realize that is to draw near to Jesus Christ, and and we can draw near through prayer. That's one of the ways. And verse 8, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Now, God has decreed that our bodies need sleep. And in these bodies, we will never arrive at the condition where where we're beyond sleep and we don't need it anymore. We might even be able to come and listen to a sermon and stay awake for the whole thing. Um, You know, um, often when we're young, we don't want to sleep. You know, we want to stay in control. We want to keep doing things. And whatever it is we're doing is so interesting. Uh, I've been reading a, a lot about young people who become addicted to uh, social media and they become addicted to playing video games and they just want to play day and night. You know, my grandkids never wanted to go to sleep, especially on Saturday night, you know, when you've got to get up the next morning and go to to go to church. Oh, Grandpa, let us stay. We'll get up, I promise. You ever hear that from your kid? I promise I'll get up. But I remember one time, uh, one of my grandsons was 16 at the time, and he went to bed at 10 o'clock. Uh, that was my house rule. And the next morning, I had to literally drag him out of bed at 8 o'clock. And he was so sleepy, and he couldn't keep his eyes open. And I thought, how can anybody sleep for 10 hours and, and, and be that sleepy? You know, I'm, I was getting kind of old, I guess. It took me a few minutes, but I realized that somehow he had played games all night, you know, and, and I had to make some changes because, I mean, if you can imagine, I'll never forget that scene. I'm thinking 10 hours of sleep. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it's a different situation with older people, and, and I've been experiencing this myself. A, a doctor's assistant, my doctor's assistant, told me that Almost all of their patients who are my age and older are taking tranquilizers. And that kind of shocked me. But, you know, uh, sleep is harder to come by as you get older. And I'm speaking in general terms. This is not true for everyone. But the older you get, you know, as you, as you get older and you see your family died and, and all of these things have happened and you have to face life, you know, you have to face life realistically and it can be scary, you know, when you're 75, when you're 80 years old. It, it can be scary. And, and to grow old without the Lord, 
I don't know how people do it. I mean, because you, you can see when you're young, you're invincible. But when you get older, you're no longer in that condition. But um, So let's say that going to sleep is not only a biological necessity, it can be an act of faith, you know, to trust in God and just lay down and say, Lord, I've done the best I can and, and go lay down and go to sleep, you know. People who live by faith can welcome the evening and can can welcome sleep. And, and again, I'm speaking in general terms. You know, I think about uh, if you've ever seen a hospice situation, you know, where a person's dying. I, I think the daytime is better and you can open the windows and bring in the sunlight and, and all that. It's, it's much better. But uh, uh, the point is, and I, and I was thinking about what Pastor Darrell taught about Abraham, Genesis 25, 8, and where it says, Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And Pastor Darrell taught that even though Abraham had hard times and he had a hard life, he was satisfied. You know, he was satisfied with his life. It sounds like he was ready to go. And it wasn't his wealth that brought him satisfaction. And Pastor Darrell asked the question, how many people can say that on their deathbeds? So even if you haven't lived an exemplary life, you know, we need to remember that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And isn't it wonderful that we can be justified, made as if we never sinned in Christ, and we can be forgiven and have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So as we come to the end of this short teaching on prayer, let me just ask Pastor Darrell's question. Do you have peace with God, you know? Do you have, a, have you confessed Christ as Savior? You know, is God convicting you of guilt with regard to sin? Jesus came to uh, seek and to save that which is lost. So if you haven't professed faith in Christ, let me tell you, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So. Let me urge you to believe God's word and believe on the Lord. So we're going to have prayer, and at the end of this, uh, well, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll go over the plan of the day again. Lord, we thank you that Christ is our hope, our Savior, that he is the God of our righteousness, Lord. Our righteousness is in him. Teach us to pray, Lord, and may may we have communion with you through our, our prayers and our prayers praying together with one another and, Lord, in, in our being members of your church, being a part of your church, Lord, may Jesus Christ be glorified among us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.